0: This is the city, Los Angeles, California. A lot of it has always been here. The mountains, the deserts, the ocean. Some of it had to be developed like oil and water and the land, the rest was built from scratch. A human mind conceived this and this. Man has an instinct to create, or to build, or to improve. But the human mind can go other ways too. Sometimes it gets lost, then it needs guidance. Reading signs and obeying them can sometimes help a confused mind. They tell you which way to turn, when not to turn, where not to drive, where not to park. In my business, this sign means something whether you drive or not. Sometimes if you don't heed it, you'll see this sign. I work here, I carry a badge.
1: It's strange how those who carry a badge can make our hearts race when we see them coming up behind us as we're speeding on down the road and we see the blue lights flash. But in the same way, it's amazing how they can slow our hearts down when they come to rescue us in times of need. This morning, as we continue our study in Romans, we see Paul in chapter 13 make a departure, a departure from what he had been talking about in the first 12 chapters, a departure from his conversation about how the law had once since been a burden and a curse to us how as sinners it revealed to us our inability to keep it, our inability to be righteous before God. But now in chapter 13, he does something different. All of a sudden, he sounds like Sergeant Joe Friday speaking to us about the importance of the law. But as we listen to his words, what we are going to find is that There really isn't a great departure. Because Paul now takes up life from the status of grace. He takes up salvation that has been given to us freely by his sovereign choice. And he points us back to the law, not as something that's a burden but the law is a good thing because Paul is aware that we still struggle with sin we still struggle with obeying the signs he points us back to the law because he understands that as we grow in grace the law can help us to move beyond darkness and blindness it can help us to live lives that are more fruitful. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to look at it from the viewpoint of the law being something good and solid and righteous. And we're going to look at it with this overarching principle. And the principle is this. Submission cures a heart of rebellion and protects a life from ruin. Submission cures a heart of rebellion and protects a life from ruin. The submission that Paul is talking about is, is godly submission, is submitting to the authorities that God has put over you. The word submission is an interesting word. <clears throat> Because it means to put yourself under the mission. God has called us to put ourselves under the mission of the new creation that he is bringing about in Christ Jesus, that he's bringing about in you. God is calling you, not for the purpose of salvation, but for for the purpose of the new creation, to live in submission, Because by doing so, it helps to cure the rebellion of our hearts. Because we were conceived in sin, we were conceived in rebellion. And God has rescued us from that. And God continues to, that through submission in His Spirit, our hearts begin to change, rebellion begins to leave. And in doing so, we protect ourselves from lives of ruin. This morning, to help us see it more clearly, in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, Paul gives us three overarching, overarching reasons, uh, illustrations of how submission brings us to bear upon our lives. So as we look at these, the first reason that we're going to see is Paul says in verse, in verse 1, it's because of command. Why should we submit? Well, simply because of the command, because God commanded it. Let's look at the verses together. Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities can you, that exist have been established by God. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying this. The authority that you now sit under has been established by God. The authority that we sit under by our leaders, our president, our congress, our senate, by the authorities of our governors, our mayors, by the authority of our police chiefs and our police officers, have been established by God. In fact, there are those in police work who call Romans uh, chapter 13 uh, the policeman's chapter, because it makes it clear that these levels of authority didn't just happen. They happened by God's creation. In fact, when you search the scriptures, what you find is there are three main levels of government that God established. Uh, The first level was the home, the authority structure between a husband and a wife and children. The second was the government that we see in Israel, that God established a government. God established a nation. God gave them rules to follow. And thirdly, God established the authority of the church and we see that in Acts chapter 2 that the church would now speak on behalf of Christ and through the inspiration of the spirit of Christ all authority has been established by God and therefore we're called to submit to all the authority that has been established by God Listen to Justin uh, Justin Martyr, who was a second-century theologian. He He writes to the Roman Empire, "'Everywhere we Christians, more readily than all men, endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, we have been taught by Jesus. Whence to God alone we render worship.'" But in other things, we gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men, and praying that you will, you with your kingly power, you would be found to possess also sound judgment. Paul is saying that we Christians of our day, we understand, we get it you see during this time there was uh, there were lots of rumors about christians that were being made up uh, by gentiles by people of other uh, gods and by the jews particularly that christians were a rebellious band they were a bunch of people who were looking to overthrow the government and yet in, in scripture we see just the opposite we see in uh, Paul's letter to 1 Timothy in chapter 2 Paul talks about how we are to live quiet and peaceful lives and that we are to pray for all of those who are rulers over us and to live in submission to them now let me just take it out of the vanilla sound of uh, living and obeying authority. Paul wrote this during a time where Christians were hated. They were hated by the religious groups around them, they were hated by the government. In fact, uh, the time of this writing, <clears throat> Caligula was Caesar. And let me tell you something about Caligula this guy wasn't even uh, stable enough. Um, or fit enough to even keep a pet. Listen to some of uh, the laundry list of his great accomplishments. He had his mother and brother killed to make sure they didn't ever challenge his right to the throne. He openly committed incest with three of his sisters. He frequently would cross-dress and go out in public. He installed his favorite horse, Isidus, as a senator and then promoted him to council. I don't know what the horse had done in order to be uh, promoted. I guess when they had votes, he just willing to say a or nay. Um, Clegil once got mad at the weather and declared war on Neptune, the Roman god of the sea. He orders soldiers from uh, the Roman army to whip the waves and bring home seashells like plunder from his domain. He had the heads of all statues of deities removed and placed them with his own bust. Often during the gladiatorial games, he would take random people from the crowds and throw them into the arena to be attacked by wild animals just to entertain himself. And after this came Nero. And Nero was just as cruel. In fact, Nero, we know, uh, Bill burned down the city of Rome, and he blamed the Christians for it. It was in this time and in this context, I want you to think about it, that Paul was saying, submit to the ruling authorities, for they have been established by God. What kind of God would establish those kind of ruling authorities? I mean, think about that. If God establishes authority and these people rule, what kind of God do we worship? Think about politicians you've seen who have been corrupt. Law enforcement officers who have been corrupt and who have done awful things. And God would say, Submit? One of the things that we see in Scripture is that when it comes to the rulers of our age, it's God who raises them up and it's God who lowers them. We see it with Nebuchadnezzar God raises up and God lowers, and He does so for His purposes. We see it with uh, the army of Assyria that comes and pounces all over Israel. And then the Babylonians that come and take them all into captivity. God established that? Yeah, for his reasons. He established it, one, because Israel had gone astray and Israel had turned their backs, and so God used corrupt rulers to oppress them to drive them back to their knees. We don't know why God allows certain people to rise to certain offices. That's not our business. Our business is to submit because in submission, we submit first to God. Now, that brings up the question, is there ever a time not to submit? Is there ever a time where you say, I don't believe this is right? Yeah, there are times. It's not like what we see today, where we'll see even Christians who don't like a law or don't like a ruler decide that they're going to check out, that they're uh, going to badmouth their president or their senators or congressmen, that they are verbally going to go out and malign them, uh, that they are going to take up arms against them, or um, that they are going to basically uh, denounce them and not pay their taxes or denounce uh, even the IRS and say, well, you're not put the money where I want it. No, that's not what Scripture is talking about. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. There are very few times that we get to rebel against authority. And the only times that we do is when the authority is telling us to do something that violates God's commandment. We see in Acts uh, chapter 5 where Peter was commanded not to preach the gospel. He was arrested, and after he was released, he was warned not to engage in that behavior anymore. And what's the first thing he does? He goes out and he engages in that behavior. Why? Because he recognized the command of God goes above the command of man. We do it when Scripture is clear, when uh, there's no other choice, there's no other road to take. We do it when it's commanded by God. We do it when what we're being asked to do is immoral, when we're being asked to lie about somebody, or we're being asked to engage in behaviors. I, I think of many people who go through medical school now And many medical schools are insisting that you partake in abortion, that that's just part of your training that you have to be a part of, or you don't graduate as a doctor. And there are people who have been willing to pay the price by walking away, saying, I won't do it. There are times when something's immoral, when we're told to do something that we just know it's wrong, and I'm not going to do it. And there are times we rebel when it goes against our Christian conscience. When we know God would not have me to do this. Those of you who were at the um, um, movie a, a few weeks ago uh, alleged um, we had um, Roy McCandless with us, who was an attorney. Roy is, uh, is such a cool guy. Um, Roy grew up, uh, his father was president of a Christian college uh, in New York, King's College, and uh, they didn't have much money, but he said it was the greatest childhood you could have because he said, I grew up on this Christian college campus. So we had everything. We had basketball courts and pools and baseball fields, and we just partook of all of it. And his father encouraged him to study hard, and they did, and Roy was blessed with a scholarship uh, to Dartmouth. And Roy would tell you he was probably the most nerdy kid on the campus of Dartmouth because Roy would go to every single class every day carrying a big, obvious Bible with him everywhere he went. He looks back now and he kind of laughs thinking, you know, I was really kind of dorky. But he did it because he felt This is what God wants me to do. And if they had told him he couldn't, he wouldn't have stayed. In fact, he had a number of friends because he was a wonderful guy and a great athlete. But even his friends would come up to him and say, Roy, look, I know you don't have much money. So I'll give you a hundred bucks if you would just swear once. And never once would he do it. He wouldn't violate his conscience yeah there are times that we rebel against authority but but we do it with great angst and sadness and it has to be done with humility because we understand that god established this and even in those times where we have to move away from it we don't do it with ease Why do we submit to authority? One, because as Paul would say, it's commanded. And when God commands something, that ends it. It would be wonderful if we could get back to living like that. Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because that's what God would have us come back to. Secondly, we submit to authority because of the consequences Look at uh, verses 2 and 4 with me. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers who hold for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but th- for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Because of consequence. What's the consequence? Well, one, Paul begins to say right in verse two, if you could bring that back up. He says, because to not, obey authority means you're ignoring God. You're just saying, yeah, that's that, that's a nice suggestion and I know the commandments are multiple choice and I'll just I'll go in the direction I want. When you ignore God, bad things happen. That's why I said submission cures a heart of rebellion. When we live in submission, it changes our hearts. It changes our hearts towards our parents, towards our spouses. It changes our hearts towards our bosses. It changes our hearts towards our leaders. I try not to criticize the leaders of our country or of our government. I try to look for the good in them because I understand this. I don't know what it's like to sit in the Oval Office. I don't have the information they have to make decisions I don't have to face all the moral challenges and all the political temptations I submit because to not do so ignores God and it leads me down a road where I become God and that never has worked out for me at all and it hasn't for you. We submit because it invites judgment. God will not tolerate, particularly, His people acting rebelliously. God will g- deal with you quicker than He will even deal with a pagan. It's interesting. I, I've I've heard Christians, and I, I got to say, I probably have said it. Where we do something wrong, we color a little outside the lines and bam, we get whacked. And we think to ourselves, well, what about all these other guys? What about these people that, you know, they don't love God and and God seems to let them get away with it? Well, one, no one gets away with it. God is always keeping track. He's always keeping score. But he's not going to let you get away with it. Why? Because he's looking to cure you of your rebellion. He's looking to keep you from a life of ruin. When we rebel, we invite judgment. When we ignore ignore God, it's like we're saying, we're we're thumbing our nose at him and we're challenging him. No, I'm not going to do that. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Wrong person to say that to. It not only invites judgment, but on the positive note, It enables stability. Look what Paul says, if we go to the next slide. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. When we obey, one of the consequences is that our sanity becomes restored to us. Rebellious people are not sane people. People in addiction. I have a rule when I sit with people in addiction. Addicts always lie. Because they do. That's part of addiction, right? You lie, you hide, you sneak. When we don't obey, our sanity gets chipped away piece by piece by piece. We start to believe crazy things like, yeah, the rule's okay for them, but I'm smarter. Uh, I can get away with it. I, I wouldn't be dumb enough to be caught. Now we're getting more insane. Um, we begin to believe because we think we can get away with it that that it's okay. Nobody really cares about this rule anyways. More insane we begin to believe that we have rights and that God probably didn't mean exactly what the Bible says. That was from a different time and a different culture. And, and we're more progressive. We're, we're a lot smarter than they were. More insanity. And then one day we're in a place where we are so messed up in our heads and judgment comes and we're living in fear again wondering how we got there you want to live a sane stable life it's easy live in submission to god and to the authorities that he's put over you yep you don't do what is sinful you don't go against your conscience you don't disobey his commandments But other than that, you do what's right. We enable stability and sanity when we do. Uh, Lastly, we ensure blessing. Look what Paul says. Then do what is right and you will be commended for it. It's funny, we always think When we do the right thing, okay, God is happy with us, and he lets us go along our way. But when we do the bad thing, he's going to get us. The truth is, when we do the right thing, it honors God, and he pours his favor upon us. God doesn't ever forget any good thing that you do. You know, the incredible thing about Christianity is, yes, God has washed away our sins. And and now there's nothing but blessing if we want it. And there's judgment that we'll bring on ourselves by living outside of the rules of the universe. But God wants to bless you. God is not looking to punish you. I have people say to me all the time, "The devils had a, a you know, has had a field day with me this week. Uh, you know, he just been tripping me up." It's not the devil. I I can tell you, ninety nine percent of the cases, it's not the devil. It's you. The devil. You know why I think the devil doesn't have to be everywhere at once, that he's not omniscient like uh, God or omnipresent as God is, because. His work is easier than God's work. He probably only has to go out a couple times a day. Because we do such a wonderful job in our sinful nature of just wrecking everything. And then we give him the credit. Instead of taking responsibility, seeking forgiveness, And reestablishing order by living in submission. There are consequences. But one of the good consequences is that God will bless you for every good thing you do. God never forgets what you do, He never forgets the sacrifices that you make, He never forgets the stress and strain you put on yourself to just go the extra mile. God will reward everything you do a hundredfold to what you do. Think about all that you have right now. Can anyone here truly put up their hand and say, everything I have, I deserved and I earned without any help from God? No. We're not that arrogant, thankfully. We recognize that I have more than I deserve, and I don't even understand why. All I know is that God is good. And on top of that, he continues to reward me for anything I do, but it's all by his hand. Why do we live in submission? One, because it's commanded. Two, because of the consequences. Three, look at verse 5. Paul says, because of conscience. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Why do we submit? Because it's a matter of conscience. How could you not submit To the police officers around you. When every day they get up and they risk their lives for you. And yep, every day they slow you down or every day, well, hopefully not every day. um, But they can correct. But they're willing to give their lives for you. They're They're willing to go where you won't go and do what you might even be afraid to do. I th- When I became a cop, it was such a, a mind shift for me. It really was, especially where I'd come from. I remember the first party I busted up, came through the doors, and, and somebody yelled, run the police, and the first thing I wanted to do was run. <laughs> then I had to remember who I was. And I had to shift my mind. I had to shift my mind during times where I was afraid. And I just knew, you don't have a choice. You have to go. You don't have a choice. You have to go. I remember confronting people who were bigger, who had weapons, thinking, there must be somebody I can call. But there wasn't. At that moment, I was it, and you don't run. We don't think of those things. Out of conscience, we should recognize. My job is to submit to these people, not to give them a hard time. My job is to not cash suspicion on them. And, and I really wanted, I, I want to say to you, and you, you probably know it, please pray for the police. They are taking such a beating. They are vilified in the press all the time for the jobs they do. And I can tell you, being around police, they do not feel appreciated. They do not feel cared for by the public. They feel used, called when there's trouble, vilified every other time. And if you watch the news, and there are some news stations out there that have a real ax to grind. Are there corrupt cops? Absolutely. But I got to tell you something. I worked on a department of 150 guys. I never saw corruption I saw stupidity at times but most of the guys I worked with they all came on the job kind of with the white knight mentality they just they wanted to serve they wanted to fight evil they wanted to keep people safe and I'll admit as the years go by you get jaded you begin to feel like it's them against us. But that's partly our fault and the way that we treat them. So please pray for them because I, I can't tell you how many cops I talk to as a chaplain, their struggles. You'll see that in a minute. But please, keep them in your prayers because they need you. And it's your job by conscience to know how in the world could I not support them, how I could not submit to them. Pray for your president. Look, I have difficulties with this president, to be honest with you. But I pray for him. And I would never in a million years, just like I wouldn't with Obama or I wouldn't with Clinton, ever say, He's not my president. Because to do so is to deny the person that God has allowed to be in authority. They're all my presidents. If they're there, God has put them there. God has allowed them to be there for whatever reason. And my job is to not mock what God has done. I don't have to like it. And I can speak out on behaviors that are ungodly. But at the end of the day, I have to respect and I have to submit. And you do too, no matter what. How do we do that? Paul says this. Number one, we do it by obeying. You know, it's interesting in the law, if a police officer gives you an instruction and you disobey it or you resist, even if they're wrong, they're right. Because you don't have the right to do that. Well, in God's economy, it's much, no, we obey even if we think, yeah, they can't tell me not to park there. We should be people of radical submission to the government, to parents, to spouses, to the church, to our bosses. We shouldn't be looking at what can we at least do to get through the day. They should look at us as faithful dogs. Number two, honor. To just simply honor them when they're in your presence. We've done that with our soldiers now. We hear it all the time. If someone sees a soldier, what's the first thing we say? Thank you for your service. I'll tell you something. Cops would love that. Because you know what cops get? You know, I learned when I first got on the job, yeah, don't eat inside the restaurant. Just get your food and go. And I thought, well, I'm not going to. I'm going to be more social than that. <clears throat> so I I remember sitting down in Burger King with my meal, sitting across this family, and hearing, if "You don't eat that. He's going to arrest you." <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh please. You know, tell him he has to eat that. And I'm thinking, I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> <clears throat> Honor them. Give them respect. Be willing to go up to whoever it is. If I came across a president I didn't like, I would thank him for a service. Just because I don't like them, that's not the voice of God. God still likes them. God still loves them. God still cares about them. And there hasn't ever been a president that was well received and loved by everyone. Honor them, number three. Support them. Yeah, you pay your taxes. You do what's asked of you. If they need encouragement, you give encouragement. If they need help, you give help. I can tell you, I, when I was on the job, I can remember driving down the highway, seeing a state trooper in the middle of the lane, rolling around on the ground with somebody, and watching cars just go around and keep going. And I thought, what kind of world is this? We give our support. The truth is, those who lead, they do it for you. And the truth is, they can't do it without you. They need you. Think of a story of a law enforcement officer who Stopped by a a farmer's property to inspect the property Because he had heard about a complaint of this guy growing some illegal plants and so uh, The inspector said I you know, I want to inspect your property And, and and the guy said well You know, I want a good reason first and so he got inflamed and he said look I'm a cop and I have a badge and that's a reason enough and so the guy got it, and he submitted, and he said, you're right, look anywhere you want to look. And so the officer put his badge back in his pocket and was satisfied that he had intimidated him enough. And, and so the farmer said, just don't go over to that section of the farm over there. Don't, don't, don't go there. And so he pulled out his badge again. he said, did you hear me? I can go anywhere I want to go. So sure enough, he, he went around looking, and then he went over to that section he was told not to go. And after about a minute or two, he could hear the man screaming, running as fast as he could run, and a, and a big bull chasing him. And the guy's running, and he's screaming, and, and the farmer looks at him and says, Just show him your badge! badge means nothing a police officer's badge or the badge of authority that we give it represents us we give it and beyond that God gives it I just thought I would close with this Um, it's a little clip but I think it, it kind of can help us to think about the things that we don't think about with those in authority and the sacrifices that they make for us that that you'll never know if you've never been in those positions. So I just I want to close with that if we can put that up.
0: You're a college man. She'd like to see you land a job with a little more status attached. Is that it? I guess that's part of it. But not all of it. I think maybe I can understand how she feels. And maybe she's right, Culver. It's awkward having a policeman around the house. Friends drop in, a man with a badge answers the door. The temperature drops 20 degrees. You throw a party and a badge gets in the way. All of a sudden, there isn't a straight man in the crowd. Everybody's a comedian. Don't drink too much, somebody says, and the man with a badge will run you in. Or how's it going, Dick Tracy? How many jaywalkers did you pinch today? And then there's always the one who wants to know how many apples you stole. All at once, you lost your first name. You're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull, a dick, John Law. You're the fuzz, the heat, you're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. They call you everything. But never a policeman. Maybe she's right. It's not much of a life unless you don't mind missing a Dodger game because the hotshot phone rings. Unless you like working Saturdays, Sundays, holidays at a job that doesn't pay overtime. Oh, the pay's adequate. If you count your pennies, you can put your kid through college. But you better plan on seeing Europe on your television set. And then there's your first night on the beat. When you try to arrest a drunken prostitute in a Main Street bar and she rips your new uniform to shreds, you'll buy another one out of your own pocket. And you're going to rub elbows with all the elite. Pimps, addicts, thieves, bums, winos, girls who can't keep an address and men who don't care. Liars, cheats, con men, the class of Skid Row. And the heartbreak. Underfed kids, beaten kids, molested kids, lost kids, crying kids, homeless kids. Hit and run kids, broken arm kids, broken leg kids, broken head kids, sick kids, dying kids, dead kids. The old people that nobody wants, the reliefers, the pensioners, the ones who walk the street cold, and those who tried to keep warm and died in a $3 room with an unvented gas heater. You'll walk your beat and try to pick up the pieces. Do you have real adventure in your soul, Culver? You better have, because you're going to do time in a prowl car. Oh, it's going to be a thrill a minute when you get an unknown trouble call and hit a backyard at 2 in the morning, never knowing who you'll meet. A kid with a knife, a pill with a gun, or two ex-cons with nothing to lose. And you're gonna have plenty of time to think. You'll draw duty in a lonely car with nobody to talk to but your radio. Most of the time you'll have few facts and a lot of hunches. You'll run down leads that dead end on you. You'll work all night stakeouts that could last a week. You'll do legwork until you're sure you've talked to everybody in the state of California. People who saw it happen but really didn't. People who insist they did it but really didn't. People who remember, those who try to forget, those who tell the truth, those who lie, you'll run the files until you're Isaac. And paperwork? Uh, you fill out a report when you're right. You'll fill out a report when you're wrong. You'll fill one out when you're not sure. You'll fill one out listing your leads. You'll fill one out when you have no leads. You'll make out a report on the reports you've made. You'll write enough words in your lifetime to stock a library. You'll learn to live with doubt, anxiety, frustration, court decisions that tend to hinder rather than help you. Dorado, Morse, Escobedo, Cahan. You'll learn to live with the district attorney, testifying in court, defense attorneys, prosecuting attorneys, judges, juries, witnesses, and sometimes you're not going to be happy with the outcome. Maybe your girlfriend's right, Culver.
1: Father God, we pray that in every realm of authority that you have instituted, that we would live in submission that every action would be brought under your mission, that our hearts would be cleansed from rebellion and our lives protected from ruin. And that in all of it, Lord God, you would be glorified and this world would be ever closer edified and that the gospel would be seen and heard with clarity in us and through us and by our good testimony. Father, make it so. Lord God, I pray for anyone here whose hearts have rebelled against you, that this morning in this place they would hear your voice and they would submit they would receive the grace and the forgiveness that you've given in Christ. And in that gift, be set free from all fear and take on the new identity of being a child of God. Lord God, we love you. We pray as we go through this week that in all things we would better represent you. For we pray this in Christ's name, amen.